How are you? I'm good. You look beautiful today. I know. You do too. Thanks. I like your sweater. I like your sweater. It makes me feel like you're talking about a certain topic. I am, but that's because you walked in on me researching on the topic and the cover of my computer screen. Listen, I don't really like Fortnite, but what? Where did that come on. from? Wait. I don't really like Fortnite, but I got I, bu- I built a new gaming PC and I downloaded Fortnite because I wanted to see how it ran on my new graphics card. And I started playing and I kind of got hooked into a match. And then you came home from work and you walked in on me playing. And I was like, Camille, let's know what it looks like. It was. It was what it, it looked was like. What it, it was what it looked Fortnite. like. It was Fortnite. Which I don't, I'm not mad about. And I'm not really? going to put it down. All right. Because Fortnite's a cool game. Fortnite is crazy. I'm not going to put down a game because like lots of kids play it. That's true. A lot of kids do play it. A lot, a of, lot adults of adults play it. play it. Yeah. yeah. Fortnite is good. It's not my cup of tea, but it's good. Why isn't it your cup of tea? I don't know. I just don't really like the Battle Royale format. I don't know. Something about just like walking around for like a long time without really seeing a lot of people. I mean, maybe for you, but for someone like me, who's really good at video games, um, everyone should know that I got first place in the Battle Royale on my first try. That's, you know, that's the same that it, I don't want to diminish your victory, but so did a lot of people. Not a lot. What? I mean, I did too. <laughs> you did too? Yeah, everybody did. Fortnite's not that hard. You just diminished my victory. Oh, you no. said <laughs> You said Oh, frick. <laughs> okay. What were you saying? I don't remember. I'm not talking about Fortnite today, are I'm you? not talking about Fortnite. <laughs> Our whole episode is just us being like, oh, Fortnite's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like seeing my brother excited about it. Yeah. He, it's, he played it's it quite cool a bit. to see people excited about something. Yeah, it, it is. doesn't matter if it's like silly. All the events surrounding Fortnite are so cool. And they all put a the, lot of work into and it. All of the crossovers, it's 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 pioneering a new kind of genre of of games of the live of doing a live service game well. Yeah, I'm not. But that's a topic for another day. We got stuff oh, to talk oh, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, let's get on it. Yeah. Okay, I walked in on you. Are you gonna start the episode? Welcome to gallery. <laughs> yeah uh that's she forgot the episodes already starts that's just yeah the the, part that you gotta say i was gonna say that's the same thing that is like that's more of a traditional formality that we do but it's nice it's nice to have a theme song that's more of a traditional formality. And I said, that's the part that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you talking about? I don't care. Um, I <laughs> Shut up. I want you to hear what you're talking about because I, I know what you're talking about. You want right? me to go first? Yeah, I do. That's not how this works. Okay. You go first. No. I feel weird going first. <laughs> He's going to lose his mind. Rock, paper, scissors? Okay. Okay. Lose best of three. Wait, on shoot or three? Paper, scissors, shoot. I'll shoot. That's what we do in my family. Best of three. Whoever wins no, goes. No, just do one. No. We got limited time here, man. <laughs> okay, one. Whoever wins goes first. Jeez. Right, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, I missed. And by <laughs> I missed, I mean I won. Okay. You did. Okay, so you did walk in on what I was researching, which out of context <laughs> sounds like not. a really weird sentence. <laughs> but I am talking about my favorite artist ever vincent van gogh Gogh. yeah vincent Mm -hmm. van gogh i love him i adore him i'm wearing a sweater with his 
I'm wearing his merch. <laughs> Wait a second. Vincent Van Gogh merch. Um, now, some of you may hear that and be like, yeah, he's talking about Vincent Van Gogh. He's such a good painter. Pump the brakes for a second. I'm actually not going to talk about his paintings much at all because the topic I've chosen is technically literature. I'm talking about his letters to Theo. Yeah. I'm whoa, sorry. Whoa. Whoa. Sorry. Sorry. I... So, sorry. Heal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vincent, Van, I, you know this, that Vincent Van Gogh's letters are really important because it's like the... Walk apart talk. Oh, I forgot to... <laughs> hey, buddy. I forgot to put him in bed. to bed. I shouldn't bark. That's I feel okay. bad I woke him up. I'm going to put him to bed really quick. Sorry we had to cut. We were putting our doggy to bed. Someday, someday we'll have him on and he can talk about freaking Jackson Pollock. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what I said in dog. Yeah. I wonder what you said when you barked. Did you swear? I don't know. In dog? I don't know. It made him. It made him like, come out here and be like, what's up? Yeah. Dang. So, um, I'm sorry. Time to boot up Duolingo. Okay, can you talk? <laughs> so I'm, yeah. So I'm talking about Vincent Van Gogh's letters to his brother, Theo. So if you don't know, Vincent Van Gogh, the painter, he wrote a lot of letters um, that's basically like the reason that we have any record of him is all of these letters. He wrote like 2000. He was a big writer and he was a very eloquent writer. We usually think of Vincent Van Gogh as a painter, but he was a really good writer too. And he wrote down a lot of important things. And obviously we know about him through those letters. Um, and we know about a lot of his paintings through those letters too, because he sent sketches of his paintings to his. So anyway, he mainly wrote to his brother, Theo. And so that's why I kind of wanted to focus on it because it's kind of this other facet of this artist that I think kind of goes overlooked. I mean, in the Doctor Who episode where they bring back Vincent Van Gogh to the present, they don't talk about his letters at all. I don't think I haven't wow, seen a full episode. Wow, they didn't? No, they didn't. They only focus on him and... Doctor Who, Dude, I have Time so Lord of all space, my booty. No, doc, the, his name's not Doctor Who. Do, the Doctor, yeah, we Time don't, I don't Lord care of all space, two hearts, my booty. Two hearts? Yeah. What is that? I think he has two hearts. Does he? Is that a thing on the Somebody show? Somebody didn't watch Doctor Who. I didn't. Anyway. Okay, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why it was so popular. But, so anyways, it's kind of this... It obviously is explored, but it's kind of this less mainstream part of the artist. And it's one of my favorite things about him because his letters are beautiful. There's a lot that we can learn from them, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't have a whole lot to talk about just because I think that you should just go read them yourself. There's so many. Um, Where do you find them? Um, well, um, that's a great segue because I'm going to tell you five fun facts about his letters. And everything I talk about, I got from um, the museum of Vincent Van Gogh, the Van Gogh Museum. I don't know where that is. I think it's in Europe. It's somewhere in Europe, but sorry, I should have. I don't even know the location. Shout out to the Europeans in the house. (laughs) Yeah. Don't say anything mean. Sorry. (laughs) The only, the only thing, the only thing that comes to mind when you say European is that football, football, but that, that reel of the British kid who's like, no, Father Christmas isn't being very nice to me lately. <laughs> you know the one I keep watching? It's so funny. That kid is so eloquent. Okay, I'm, I keep getting off track. <laughs> Vincent Van Gogh's letters. Okay, the first fun fact about Vincent Van Gogh's letters. Van Gogh wrote, and this is off the website, Van Gogh wrote more than 2,000 letters. Um, He was a very passionate letter writer. I could write 2,000 letters. Right now? Go. In my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and of course, most of the letters were to his brother Theo. Cute. He had a really good relationship to his brother Theo. I he always started his letters with I think like my dear Theo or something. Aww. He had a really strong relationship with his his brother Theo. Um, second fun fact: um, Van Gogh wrote many letters in French. And huh? what? He speak French? Yeah. I think he spoke Dutch better than he spoke French. But cool. he was bilingual, yeah. Slay. Yeah, Slay, Vincent. Um, so he signed them with uh, tout à trois. Oh. And which means, which I'm sorry, French people, if I butchered that. I'm sorry, he did, Europeans. Probably. But, <laughs> um, um, he would sign his letters saying tout à trois, Vincent. And tout à trois means uh, ever yours, oh. I think. So. Um, did isn't you that really nice? Google Translate how to say that? I did. That was cute. Aw, thanks. Speak more French. Wee oui, wee. Oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> That's, the That's thing really I know. cool. And je m'appelle. It seems it seems like he had a really good well, a really sweet relationship with his brother. He, if did. he addresses him in that way. Yeah, he did. He and his brother were very close. Aw. I mean, his brother was his like emotional, financial, and like business support Dang. throughout his whole life, and I'll touch on that in a second. But I mean, I don't blame him for having such a close relationship with his brother. And it really sounds like Theo was the only one who like truly understood him. Mm-hmm. Vincent van Gogh had a lot of mental and emotional problems. And he had a unique connection with the world around him that I think nobody else but Theo really understood. Well, I mean, when you write your brother that much, how can he not understand you? But still. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. That was a great insight. Um, and um, with these letters that were written in French, he... You might notice that he always signs everything Vincent rather than Van Gogh because Van Gogh is tough for French people to pronounce. So oh. he signed it Vincent. Cute. Yeah. Do you remember when we went to the Vincent Van Gogh experience, which is so cool, and they started playing Starry Night by uh, John Denver? Is it John Denver? The song? Yeah, the yeah. song. I don't think it's by John Denver. but John Denver, like, Take Me Home Country Roads, John Yeah, I Denver? think so. I think it's by something, someone different, though. He's got some Should type of repertoire. Up? Is that French? Repertoire? Yeah. Yeah. We be speaking French The today. only French I know is, Oui, oui, mon ami, je m'appelle Lafayette. The re- Lancelot. Of- you can stop. I am not throwing away. No, no. Mm-mm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's another cool fact is he wrote them in French. Cool. So, um, and third fun fact, Van Gogh added drawings to his letters. Frequently, he would sketch out what he was currently painting and send it to Theo so Theo could see. And the <laughs> it's so cute, right? It's really cute. And the the Van Gogh Museum website said, um, equates this to like sending a picture with a message today, Aww. which is like true. Um, so one of the letters um, has a sketch of the potato eaters, which is cool. Said to be like Van Gogh's first big masterpiece because it was his first like. Well, don't quote me on this. I think it was one of his first compositions with multiple figures. Cool. Which, if you're an artist, you know is really hard to do. Um, but I think sometimes we think of Van Gogh, we think of his tortured life, we think of how much he struggled, and we kind of think that he wasn't, you know, because we think of of him not selling a painting ever, we think of him as kind of um, maybe feeling down about his art. But in this letter containing the sketch of the potato eaters, he says, quote, 
See, this is what the composition has now become. I've painted it on a large, on a fairly large canvas, and as the sketch is now, I believe there's life in it. End quote. <laughs> he was really hopeful, and he he knew when he was doing good. I think he knew he was passionate about his art, and we learn that from his letters. <laughs> so, fun fact four. Um, this I mentioned this earlier. He sent his paintings in the mail, <laughs> and. He had this relationship with Theo where in exchange for providing Vincent with his monthly allowance, Theo was like his only um, financial support throughout his life. He wasn't selling any paintings. He only got one commission. Um, he So in exchange for Vincent, for giving Vincent money, Vincent would set his paintings back and then Theo would try and sell them. Um, so that's how we have a lot of his artwork is um, it's been preserved through the letters, which... Props to Vincent for like sending oil paintings in the mail, especially ones that could have like broken, like because he's got that thick texture. And back when they were using ye old Wells Fargo, ye old Wells Fargo is not a mail service, (laughs) is it? It's just no. That's why they're they're is that why there's a wagon? The the like. (laughs) So when I'm playing Red Dead Redemption Two and a wagon goes by. That's Wells Fargo. That's where it came from. It comes I mean, from what Red Dead well, Redemption. Well, not every wagon was Wells Fargo. That's crazy. They had a wagon monopoly. What? Never in my life would I have a discussion <laughs> about Wells Fargo longer than like thirty seconds. Okay. I actually, was in a meeting today. We talked about Wells Fargo for a while. Nice. I hear they suck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fun, fun fact number five: um, Vincent often wrote secrets in his letters. He was a little gossiper. What kind of secrets? Um, he wrote to Theo that his fiance was, uh, t- had taken poison and was really sick. Was that a lie? No. Why is that a secret? I don't, I don't know. Maybe she didn't want people to know that she That's was dying of poison. That's just a little fact. That's just a little fun little Vincent fact. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, my wife, my fiance dying. He's like, my dear Theo. I don't remember what her name was. He had a lot. Stephanie, she of, going downhill. <laughs> one of them was one of one of one of uh, his women was uh, his one of his was his cousin. Oh, really? He was kind of weird. That's a little weird. It is, yeah. Such a good painter. He's a good painter. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey. Different times. If you want to go get your cousin. Wait. Go get please. your cousin. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. To close my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't. I don't know if I had a lot, a lot of thoughts, but those are some fun facts about. Those are good fun yeah. facts. I want to share a bunch of quotes from oh, his letters that I really like. First, quote: "Find things beautiful as much as you can. Most people find too little beautiful." That's from letter seventeen, and I really like that because he phrases it as not as fine. He doesn't say, "Oh, that was a big yawn." Thank you. He says, he doesn't say find beautiful things as much as you can. He says, find things beautiful. Ooh. And then the second part of this quote has kind of this duality to it where he says, most people find too little beautiful. And you could say that as like a quantity, like most people find too little things beautiful. But you could also say that as like, most people find one thing too little beautiful. And some people need to find the beauty in one thing because that's what Van Gogh did. Yeah. Whether it was poverty or nature, he captured it the way a good impressionist would with lighting and striking colors and amazing brushstrokes and he put it on a canvas and it was beautiful. I like that in in the letter you talked about earlier, he said that he would, he can see some life in, in it, the yeah. life in the pota- potato eaters. Because when you look at that 
painting, it's like, wow, look at these dingy, dungy peasants because that's (laughs) what they were. But he saw life in it. He he saw a thriving community. Like I'm, I read uh, this book often, and the way he takes those in the lower class so seriously, and kind of sees them in their own little world, not like glorifying them or exploiting them, obviously, but like dignifying them. He just had so much hope. And, yeah. Which is funny oh coming gosh. from like the mega depressed guy that he was. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing is like, we know that he was super depressed. Like he had, he had bipolar or something. We don't know exactly what he had, but it was probably depression. He was still so hopeful. He, from these letters, he's one of the most hopeful individuals. And I want to read more quotes. Quote, there's nothing more beautiful than nature early in the morning. Close oh. quote. Which that's is like, me. that's like a grandpa. Statement. Yeah, dude, that's like that's like a Jimmy Dean commercial where there's like, there's nothing like a yeah. morning, like a, <laughs> like a sausage in the morning. But that's from letter three hundred fifty six. Uh, don't don't listen to that are last all, part I all, said. Are they all like chronological order? No, not these ones. Wait, no. Like, what are the numbers? Oh, oh, like I thought you were asking how I had them in my notes. No, uh, yeah, the, I think they are. Oh, cool. I don't know exact. I think they are chronological. But anyway. Another quote, quote, success is sometimes the outcome of a whole string of failures, end quote. And he was the king of failure. He was the king of failure. Like, he failed all the time throughout his life. It kind of seemed like he had this, like, everlasting hope of, like, this will come to fruition. Like, totally. I, I can succeed. And it never did for him. Brutal. But he, I don't know, he just, he still hoped and something better down the line, even though he kind of never got it in his, in, in his lifetime. That's really sad. I hope he's, I hope he's turning in his grave in a good way. Like he's turning <laughs> over and gets in a more comfy position. Yeah, he's like, oh, that Doctor Who episode. Yeah, <laughs> I got a shout out. Um, so, but what a good quote about loving your failure, which is, you know, something that I really yeah. adhere to, um, which brings us into the next Next quote. That last one was from letter 270. This one's from letter 515. I quote, I'd rather I'd rather fail than sit idle, end quote. Dang. Can you imagine that? No. Because you hate to fail. Yeah. <laughs> but he would rather just crash and burn than just not do anything, which is so admirable. And, and he put out a lot of painting. Yeah. That's yeah. a mindset that I don't think a lot of, I, that's a mindset I didn't have for a while that, I got to churn out successes all the time. But he realized that even when he was failing, he was still learning something. He was still doing something. He was still contributing something of value to the world, even if it was at the time a failure. That's. Isn't it beautiful? Um, Imagine what we all could do if we all. I know. Like, right? I feel like I get frozen with failure sometimes. Yeah, you like, get or frozen. Or even the possibility of failure. You become idle with yeah, failure. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I know. That was a great thought. Thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't. Okay. This one is from letter 274. Sometimes, quote, sorry, quote, sometimes there's nothing to be done except wait for it to pass, end quote. True. Yeah. True. Sometimes all you can do is just. Live it out. Live it out. And, you know, he only had so much control over his life, you know, with, he only, he had a monthly budget from his, from Theo and. He had, you know, not, not the greatest living spaces. He, you know, he had to really be meaningful with what he had. And he was, but 
there's in a lot of cases, it seems like in his life, there's nothing he could do, but just wait for it to pass. Last quote, and then a final thought, quote, of course, we hope that things will turn out well later, but still it weighs heavily on my heart, end quote. Oh, Oh he's, man, he's that, so that, that quote makes me a little emotional because he just, he wasn't an optimist in the sense that he was like, everything is okay and I love nature and everything. Like he had his moments of, of sunshine and joy, but he didn't, from this quote at least, he was like, you know, there's there's still a hope that things will get better, but this still sucks. And I think, and I read a little bit more of this letter. It was, it was some big expense that his dad was going through. <laughs> and he's like, you know... I hate for Pa to bear that, but in like we we hope that things will get better, but it still weighs heavily on my heart. Wow, we, just just the emotional maturity of that of being like this sucks. Like I hope it's going to get better, but I still feel bad from this. I think those two can coexist. Like the ending of Inside Out, where there's two emotions in one. I think that's very real, and I think Vincent captures that well in that quote right there. Um, what were you gonna say? I was going to say, do you, and these are just from his letters to Theo. Yep. And they really feel like corporate propaganda or they're like, you they're know, like so motivational inspirational. posters. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because that's the last thing I want to say. Vincent van Gogh was just a guy. He wasn't a revered painter Yeah. back in his day. He was literally just another peasant back in those times. Yeah. He was not the idol, the icon, the legend that he is now. He was just a guy sending letters to his brother. And I don't think he knew. Well, or it's could one even have imagined. Yeah. It's one thing to say like, oh, he couldn't have imagined that his paintings would do well eventually. I think there's one quote where he's like, maybe someday like someone will like this. But I don't think he realized that these normal letters would have such an impact. So he's not saying these to necessarily make a big statement or fix anybody's big problems. He's just sending these to his brother as thoughts, which is just a huge testament to the kind of person he was, the kind of mind he was. I'm not saying he was perfect, but gosh, the man had a beautiful mindset. And you can see how it translated into his paintings. So in conclusion, Vincent has some beautiful things to say. And he wrote them down beautifully, not knowing how beautiful they were. Probably. Yeah. So I admire his paintings. I really do. But his letters to Theo mean a lot to me, too. Wow. That was beautifully said, McKay. I know. It was just so... Well, thank you. It, 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 the reason it was beautifully said is because most of it was just Van Gogh's quotes. <laughs> so that's that's my topic this time. Thank you for sharing. That You're was welcome. lovely. <laughs> I think it's so cool to to kind of bring out these really beautiful and really important parts of artists who are famous for something else. Yeah. You know? I feel like that happens a lot with with just a lot of people I revere or like from history or even like contemporary figures who get famous for, you know, something like yeah. painting or like a song they do or, or something yeah. like that. And then if you delve a little deeper, there's geniuses can be geniuses in all sorts of fields. Yeah. There's those people that are so versatile. Yeah. Like um, Jordan Peele. Yeah. That man can crack a joke, a really funny joke, but he can also make scary inc movie. incredibly scary movies. Bo Burnham. 
Oh, Bo Burnham is such a good example. Yeah. Of someone who can do just the stupidest comedy and the the not stupid, but stupid in the sense of like it's it's funny and yeah, like yeah. off the off the chains. And he can make a funny web series, but then he can go on to make films like Eighth Grade. Yeah. And Inside. Yeah. Which are just like raw and yeah. like heart wrenching. But anyways, and and Michael Jordan did golf for a little bit. I don't know if he was good at it, but he <laughs> I don't did. know why I know that. I do know why I know that. It's because in the epic rap battles of history of Muhammad Ali versus Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali disses him for his golf career. Please go watch epic rap battles of history. They're amazing. Can I have some of your water? Yeah. Thanks. Well, that was great. Thank you. I'm so eager to hear. So I don't even know what your medium is. Um, It's a song. Really? You're doing music? Yeah. Oh, I hoped you would. You did? Yeah, because you, you have such a good taste in music. Is it a hosier song? No. Dang it. <laughs> you win. Oh, I could listen to you talk about Hosier songs all day. I have a lot to say about Hosier songs. I know. That that would be our longest episode. <laughs> um Fire away. Okay. Uh tell me tell me if you recognize this. I thought it was the Among Us. Ding 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 ding. Ding ding ding. Bum bum. All right. Well, okay. Sorry. Uh, that was the wrong way to introduce it. I can't I believe take you're doing totally the Among back. Us theme song. Nope. I am not. <laughs> do it again. All right. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me make vocal sounds. Comment if you also thought that sounded like the Among Us theme. Bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What's the song? Okay. What is... The I'll, I'll counter it with a question. What is like the most famous contemporary Christmas song of all time? Are you doing All I Want for Christmas is You? <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. That's that's the thing. When I say most famous contemporary Christmas song. Know a lot for Christmas. That's what you were humming. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's I was doing the the like little chimey bells ding, at the ding, very ding, beginning. Ding, ding, ding. That's a oh, lot better, yeah. She should change it to the Among Us. Let's call Mariah. Uh, somebody make a <laughs> comparison there. <laughs> okay. Who stole whose idea? So you're talking about All I Want for Christmas, for Christmas is, is You. Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. No way. Yeah. You always do the seasonal stuff before our special episodes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I was really excited about Christmas. I was thinking about things that are very Christmas. And that's kind of the joke is that Mariah Carey defrosts yeah. on December 1st. And then she goes, it's time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to like do a deep dive into this song and wow. figure out why it's so popular. Why it's every year. It's just every year. Yeah. And, you know, even in Christmas Eve 2018, it broke Spotify's streaming record. Like, 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 ever? like the streaming record of all of it, Spotify. Well, th this is outdated information. I know, but, but like at the time, yeah, it, at the time, wow, yeah. Oh my gosh! So it's huge. Dang. And it, I mean, you really can say it's the most successful contemporary Christmas song of the last fifty years. Easy. And which is funny because what? What are you laughing at? Nothing. I was thinking of Paul McCartney's Christmas song versus John Lennon's Christmas song. I don't want to elaborate on it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> simply stop it, stop it. Um, 
You're looking way too excited for this. I love the <laughs> song. Little... <laughs> You're like, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We spent five minutes talking about the song and not talking about the song. Yeah, Go. yeah. Um, so there's a lot to say. A but lot to say, man. Something I'd like to first compare it against is other contemporary artists. Okay. And the songs that they've released. Okay. And like show you why it's so crazy that Mariah Carey's song has like just exploded with yeah. popularity. Yeah. Because if you look at like Ariana Grande's album or Sia's Christmas songs or even Michael Bublé. Oh, who, I love Michael. Who is very, very popular. Like his Winter Wonderland album is just... He like is you, a, you throw that one He on. has become a Christmas mascot right alongside Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> Michael Bublé. Michael Bublé. <laughs> but there's all of, like, there's these people, they're contemporary artists, but you never really hear a lot of what they do, other than Michael Bublé, probably, but you don't hear a lot of Ariana Grande, you don't hear a lot of Sia, you don't hear a lot of, like... Outside of their Christmas albums? Uh, no, uh, compared to frank sinatra and bing crosby oh during christmas time yeah okay gotcha if you're he- if you're listening to christmas oh, songs I see what you're saying. you hear like the oldies you hear yeah, something classics, from 50s and 60s yeah. but you don't hear see you don't hear Sia, really. yeah or, or ariana grande stuff yeah or many other artists like yeah taylor swift's christmas tree farm there's, Not, there's yeah. a lot of artists that are very popular that have released christmas albums but they haven't had nearly as much success as this one single mm-hmm so, so I, I, I researched a lot about it, and it seems like the one thing that they really attribute it to is that it doesn't sound contemporary, and it somehow takes all of the eras in, like, it gives you all, like, it gives you oldies, it yeah. gives you contemporary all at the same time. Yeah. I have something to say, but I want to see if you talk about it first, so keep going. <laughs> no, say your thing. Well, I watched a video essay about it. I don't remember who did it. It was a music theory YouTuber. We'll link them or something. I'll, we'll put some text up on the screen or mm-hmm. we'll find out who it is. They uh, they kind of did a deep dive into this question and they were like, why does it sound so classic? It's because it uses a lot of the same chord progressions as the old songs. Yeah. In Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, the here we are as in golden days, happy gold or whatever it is. That chord progression is used in like the bridge of All I Want for Christmas is You. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I was going to talk about the chord progression. Cool. Go. If we if we look at the song, like actually like pull apart the song rather than lyrics or nostalgia or whatever, the way that the song is set up is is that it doesn't have a multi-line chorus. And so most pop songs like today have a verse chorus set up. They sing a verse, they sing the chorus. They sing a verse, they go back to that same chorus. Maybe they have a bridge. Yeah. They go back to the chorus, you know? Yeah. But Mariah decided to follow this old, like, something that was done in the 50s and 60s, which is, there's an intro and an outro, and then she has three verses and a bridge in there. So it's A-A-B-A. Okay. Verse, verse, bridge, verse. And the only line of chorus that you get is, all I want for Christmas is you. What more can I do? Yeah. And so that's just one line. Okay. So she doesn't use that multi-line chorus. It's You're just right. One. Oh. And if you look at all of the older songs, like Bing Crosby's, let's see, I wrote it down. Bing Crosby's I Wish You a Merry Christmas, Frank Sinatra's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, they follow Tell the same me. format. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I just went through all of every Christmas song in my head and you're right. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> I'm, like <laughs> I'm Dr. Strange on Infinity War just going. Yeah. <laughs> so. Your water tastes great, by the way. Thank you. 
It's because I spit in it. Oh. Huh. <laughs> um, so that's really cool. And that's that's a format that, I mean, like I said, was used in the 50s and 60s. And so it gives this it, it, it a nostalgic feel. Totally. It sounds like the old ones. Totally. Um, another thing that it has is way more chords, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Most contemporary songs, if you listen to that's like true. Ed Sheeran's Shape of You or something. Four chords and <laughs> that's, that's like basically three or four it. chords. Yeah, because if you there the amount of songs that can be played with the same four chord progressions are insane. Crazy. Crazy. There's like whole video essays about it. Yeah, and it's mostly major minor. And yeah. like that's about it. But in Mariah Carey's, she uses 13 different chords wow. in her songs. And she uses chromatic notes. She uses... I, Which, it down. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider the genre that it is and how yeah. con- and that it's contemporary, it makes sense that yeah. that's a lot, especially compared to other artists. And like during this, artists. during like the 50s, 60s, a lot of the music there was influenced by jazz. And that was before the rock and roll era, which transitioned to fewer chords and stuff. And like less chromatic notes, less, I wrote it down, um, diminished chords. Yeah, less. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You're a music guy. You get it. I am a little bit of a music guy. But that's why it also sounds so much like more interesting to us. Is that there's so much happening and there's so much going on in the melody and harmony that it's like, it sounds different. It sounds like the old songs. Yes. The way that certain like lines and phrases resolve in that song are really good. Like, I just want you for my own. Like it goes to that really nice chord more than you could ever know. Oh man, this is so interesting to think about. Isn't that cool? Because it's like, haha, funny Christmas song that everybody likes, but there really is some intricacies to it and some influence to Mm -hmm. it. And I feel like this pays homage to someone like Mariah Carey and her co-writer. I think his name is Walter. Shout out, um, Walter. Shout out, Walter. You deserve just as much praise Seriously. as Mariah Carey. I think he's gotten awards and good. stuff. Good for him. But I feel like it pays homage to them because a lot goes into sound writing. And I think a lot of us take it for granted. Yeah. And I don't know how on purpose this was, but um, I also watched a deep dive. We'll link it if you'd like to learn more about this stuff. But something I found out was that those first few chimey notes that she has at the very beginning... The, do you want to sing it? Those notes, they're very like sparkly, chimey yeah. kind of things. It's an iconic opening. Yeah. Do you know what instrument that is? It's a glockenspiel. It's a celesta. Dang, I was going to guess a celesta. Nice. Frick. Nice. But a celesta has a very interesting history. Re- in Christmas songs? Uh-huh. Okay. And so think of one of the, you're getting all excited. I love this. I love hearing you talk about this. Think of one of the most famous, like older Christmas songs of all time, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker. And the dance of the sugar plum varies. That uses Celesta. It, loses, it uses a Celesta to start it out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Whoa. that's really interesting because that wasn't, really an instrument that was well known at the time and the nutcracker wasn't even like starting to use the celestia very early i took like 20 years for it to catch on anyway yeah but the idea was that he started with this really chimey delicate crisp instrument at the very beginning and then slowly added more layers of sound until you had your full symphony and that's what made it such like a like a powerful experience because it's so light and fun and you know and then Chris. it gets kind of crazy and as it, it goes get, on. And then you get hit with what they call a wall of sound. Yeah. 
And so... Whoa. And you think all I want for Christmas is that you does that? Yes. And because we... People think this because Mariah Carey has opened concerts with ballerinas dancing to the the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. So it's wow. it's obvious that, it, that she seems to have taken inspiration from Tchaikovsky himself. That's crazy. And this like little kind of ideas. Uh-huh. The other person that they chose to take inspiration from, this was from Walter, the co-writer. He said they chose to take inspiration from Phil Spector. Okay. Who was a very well-known artist in like the 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. And he introduced something called the wall of sound, which is that you introduce one instrument and then you introduce another and then you introduce another. And soon enough, you're hit with just this whole, like you've got your pop song, but you've also got the full orchestra in it. Yeah. So lots of bands took from this, you know, mm. like the Beatles and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, like Panic at the Disco is still yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... There's like, it's just like this huge experience. And and Mariah Carey completely does this because she starts with that light Celesta, those little notes, and then you get your keyboard coming in, then you get the church bells coming in, then you get sleigh bells, and then suddenly it's like, and then the vocal track comes in. Wow. And then you get the guys in the back going, and I. Which the backup harmonies were mentioned is because those are very like 60s girl groups. Yeah. And so that takes you back to the nostalgia factor. And it all works together to give you this like really incredible auditory experience. Wow. Because it's it's a journey going from to like that whole like it feels like awesome Christmas. It's a celebration of Christmas songs almost with the sleigh bells and the. The tubular bells and it is. the wall of sound. Holy frick. That's why it's so good. I think that that song, I think that it, you can't not love it. Yeah. Be, I, and, I, and I think it's a, it's a great example of something that's like a modern classic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that 20 years down the line, when we have the Christmas classics playlist. I think, I mean, it's already on a lot of Christmas classics playlists, but that's going to be thought of as one of the like mainstays. classics. So I think of things like Breath of the Wild, I think is a modern classic, just this pinnacle of quality and excellence that just goes down in history as something just so widespread and like, like globally and generally adored. So well said. And I think that All I Want for Christmas is You totally fits the bill. Yeah. I mean, it already it already is. It's already written down in the history books of, of record breaking and of everybody's Christmas you're listening to All oh, I yeah. Want for Christmas is You by Brian no Carey. Looking further than reels around or yeah, TikToks around November. Yeah, it's an internet meme because it's, it's so meme. popular. Yeah. So. Whoa. Isn't that cool? Oh, I just felt like I was hit with a wall of information. A wall of sound. <laughs> I was going to say that the lyrics, too, I feel like are very Christmassy. Yeah. Because you think like, well, of course they're Christmassy. It's a Christmas song. Hold on. Some Christmas songs have dumb lyrics that don't have anything to do with like the holidays. Like Last Christmas is a fine song. But the only part that has to do with Christmas is Last Christmas. <laughs> and that's it. It's like a heartbreak song. Yeah. Yeah. It's dumb. But Okay, it's not dumb. It's awesome. But in All I Want for Christmas is You, like, the, I'm thinking of the bridge, like, you know, she mentions, like, all the lights are shining so brightly where, uh-huh. and the sounds of children's laughter fill the air, like, that's stuff that's synonymous with Christmas. Yeah. And, like, in the, in the verses, it's like, I won't make a list and send it to the North Pole. 
It's like, man, like, I don't know. Like now that I really think about it, it's like, those are some cheesy lyrics, but you don't think about that. Oh my gosh, this song is crazy. Yeah. Wow. And so I feel like this was fun for me because I'm, I'm very much a lyric person. I don't really focus on the music. That's true. Um, and you're the opposite. I know you're a sound I love person. The, yeah. Um, or a music person. Instrumental person. But as I went into kind of this, like the background and how it kind of came to be, what it was inspired from and everything yeah. like that, I feel like I have so much more of an appreciation for this song. Yeah. Whereas I was like, oh yeah, it's, it's the Christmas song everyone listens to. Yeah. I, I can understand why it's, why it's the Christmas song that everybody listens to. It seems like, it seems like this episode, we've kind of touched on things that are a little bit more than they seem on the surface. Very well said. You have a painter who is a great painter, but he's also a really beautiful writer. Yeah. And you have this song that's a great meme and a great simple song for parties. But when you really look into it, it's a celebration of history. Yeah, it really is. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, that was a perfect summary. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Jeez. What a fun topic you chose. Thank you. Dang. And so I kind of wanted to round it off by something that I... After I, I've been researching this, this is kind of came to mind, is do you feel that a contemporary sounding Christmas song, because Mariah Carey chose specifically to make hers sound like all eras, it sounds very yeah, much yeah. like the 50s, 60s. Do you feel that a contemporary sounding Christmas song like Ariana Grande's or would become classic like this, become famous like this, break records like this? That's tough to say. I'm not a fortune teller, but like... I don't know. I mean, All I Want for Christmas is You is already a classic. It's Other already than that, a that staple. That can stay a classic, but do you feel that something well, contemporary would reach that? I just mean popularity? like I just mean like since All I Want for Christmas is You is already there. <laughs> there's no room for anybody else. Not that there's no room, but like it's I don't know. When I listen to like Sia's Christmas album, and I've never listened to Ariana Grande's Christmas album, but when I listen to kind of the more contemporary ones that are clearly just like the artists, like just kind of making, putting something out for the holidays, it just, I'm like, these are nice, but they don't really feel like Christmas songs. They're just not as memorable, I don't think. They don't still, like, I'm not going to say they're the bad songs necessarily. Mistletoe by Justin Bieber goes hard. <laughs> but. I just don't think they have the the staying power and the legacy to, I don't think they have the the Christmas legs to to really pull them forward like All I Want for Christmas is You does. And that's okay. They can just be enjoyed now and forgotten about maybe, I don't know, it's just my opinion, but. Mm -hmm. And that might just be, you know, the times that we're in. Yeah. Because one one comment I read was that Christmas is nostalgia. Christmas is thinking back on your childhood and how magical it was. And, you know, spending time with family, which might be very much in the past for a lot of people. And And this goes for other holidays other than Christmas, too. Totally. Yeah. And so I just feel like lots of songs for lots of holidays, they if they carry that nostalgia factor, if they sound like the old ones or they reference the old times, they have that much more of a staying power. Yeah. We, the other day, uh, we were listening to a speech from uh, an ecclesiastical leader, and she said that all of the decorations, all of the traditions are mementos of what really means the most to us. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think that's my kind of closing statement. I feel like there's a lot of 
as we approach the holiday season. We're in the holiday season. anyone who celebrates whatever you celebrate. Yeah. Um, where am I going with this? I was, the, that was going to be like really good. The songs or the art of the holidays has weight in terms of reminding you of what's most important. Yeah. And then maybe one day they'll look back on Michael Bublé's songs or Ariana Grande's songs and they will say, Santa baby slaps. It reminds <laughs> me of the 2020s. <laughs> it reminds me of when I was playing Lethal Company in December with <laughs> with my family. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what the future holds with contemporary Christmas music. Oh, man. Well, just like every time we do one of these episodes, I feel uplifted and so happy. Thanks of, for about sharing what the we talked about. Yeah. Um, gosh, so much good in unexpected places. Yep. Just like uh, just like Vincent said, find things beautiful as much as you can. Find things beautiful as much as you can, including letters from a painter or a Christmas song that's super popular. Mm-hmm. So follow us on our socials. What a good wow. Dang, what a good discussion we just had. I just feel so uplifted. Um, Drive safe if you're driving. Follow us on our socials, but not Twitter because we're deleting Twitter because we don't like it. It's a big thorn on our sides. We don't yeah. Like anyway. I don't know how Twitter works. Me neither. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, That's going to be deleted. Yes, please drive safely this holiday season. And we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye.